0: At CFB Winning Edge, we are working hard to update our 2021 FBS team profiles with new stats and information, player and coach ratings and rankings, and projected depth charts to reflect transfer news, injuries, NFL draft decisions, and super seniors taking advantage of the extra year of eligibility from the NCAA. In our final push before we make our new 2021 team profiles available to our Tier 2 Patreon supporters, we're offering Tier 2 access to new Tier 1 patrons who sign up for an annual membership in the month of March. Thank you to our Patreon supporters who help fund our show, annual updates, and special projects. Visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge for more info.
1: Welcome back, everybody. It's CFP Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFP Winning Edge. Follow him on the Twitter at CFP Winning Edge and Xavier Trish. Follow him on the Twitter at Xavier underscore Trish, T R I C H E. And today we got, we are continuing uh, our power rankings team series, and we're going from 70 to 61. And, Nick, we've got some better teams in this mix here. Uh, you know, we're starting to get to, The teams at the, you know, higher in the G5 conferences and lower in the P5 conferences. So it's an interesting mix here today, isn't it?
0: Yeah, for sure. And and I think we might have our first conference champion. Ball State will be uh, one of the teams that we talked about or that we will talk about a little bit later today. So it is starting to become a mix of some teams that had a lot of success last year. Some teams that. Uh, you know, maybe didn't lower in Power Five teams are are becoming more and more common. We've got what about half the teams we'll talk about today are our Power Five teams, maybe even a little bit more than that. So, uh, it's it certainly is an interesting mix, and uh, there are some teams on this list in particular that you know, similar to to a lot of the ones that we've talked about before, we're we're getting into a, a period in the rankings where. Teams have a lot of room to go up and a lot of room to go down. And there are certainly uh, some on the list here with you know coaches who are maybe entering a second year, have an opportunity to to take a big step in year two. Uh, some coaches that are now in you know year three, year four, and maybe things are not necessarily trending in the right direction. Maybe a couple of guys that could end up being on the hot seat if, if things don't improve in 2021. So yeah, absolutely. A lot, lot to talk about some interesting teams, uh, for, you know, a wide variety of, of reasons for sure.
1: And we're just going to dive right in and start with the first team here is Purdue. And, you know, they start two know, uh, with wins over Iowa and Illinois, but, uh, they lost four in a row to end the season. They had, uh, three of their four losses, uh, at the end, there were, um, by a single possession. So you can see there's meat on the bone with this team. They uh, got the 75th ranked recruiting class, which was seventh in the big 10, uh, six transfers in three out. And they do return a couple of all conference players and wide receiver, David Bell and defensive end, George Carol Aftis. Uh, but they do have Rondell Moore, um, the wide receiver left tackled, uh, Grant Hermans and edge defender, Derek Barnes, all going to the NFL. Uh, Brad Lambert is now the co-defensive coordinator And linebackers coach for them, he was the coach of Marshall's defense, uh, the defensive coordinator for them last year. And Ron English comes over from Florida to coach cornerbacks this year. So uh, what is your uh, outlook on Purdue this season, Nick?
0: Uh, Purdue has, you know, since Jeff Brom got there, has had some really exciting players, some players at the high, high end. Uh, You know, they're, they're certainly not the deepest team. They don't rank. Ah, uh, particularly high in any of our talent metrics. Uh, you know their their overall offensive talent, even with Rondell Moore and David Bell, who are you know one hundred we're one hundred rated players uh, for us in our individual player ratings, seventy first nationally in in offensive talent, seventy fourth on defense, seventy fourth overall. So you're talking about teams at the low, uh, you know, Purdue as a team at the low low end of the Power Five spectrum as far as just talent on hand, but The you know the the uh, few high end guys that they've uh, have Rondell Moore David Bell George Karloftis those guys are really really good and and Moore you know and Bell both two of my favorite wide receivers to watch Uh, George Karloftis I think has got a a really high ceiling entering his junior year this year probably will be uh, you know off to the NFL just a guy that absolutely gets after the quarterback uh, relentlessly when he's on the field unfortunately he missed half their games last season. And, and, you know, similar story to Rondell Moore, we got to see just a handful of games from him over the last two seasons because of injury. So, uh, you know, had all the injuries at the quarterback position as well. Aiden O'Connell won the job coming out of fall camp, ends up starting, you know, the first three games is injured. Jack Plummer comes in, puts up almost an identical stat line. Both guys threw for over 900 yards. Uh, O'Connell had seven touchdowns. Plummer had eight. They both you know, were intercepted twice, so decent stats there. Uh, both guys are expected to come back, uh, and they've got other guys in the mix as well, a transfer uh, who was on campus last year. Austin Bart- Burton from UCLA thought he might have an opportunity to win that job in the, the uh, you know, late fall camp last year, but you know, they're, they're a team that unfortunately uh, just isn't very deep. Uh, they they've done some really exciting things on offense. Brom uh, was you know put up just absolutely huge offensive numbers when he was at Western Kentucky. Had a lot of success his first year at Purdue and and early on in his tenure. But they haven't you know been able to to really find consistency and and that was something that uh, really hurt them last year. Injuries, just you know games getting canceled throughout the course of the year. Uh, close losses. They had a horrendous. Uh, a penalty call that ended up costing them uh, potentially a win against Minnesota. Uh, and it just was a, a difficult season for a variety of reasons. Difficult to to really pull a lot from what we saw statistically. Uh, net yards per play, they did rank in the top 50 in the country, ranked in the top 50 in yards per play, allowed uh, defensively, but that was really the only major bright spot that they had defensively. They ranked 86th. In uh, expected points added per play on defense, 86th in points per drive allowed, success rate against, and 96th in yards per pass attempt allowed. So all those numbers really drag down a, a lot of their uh, metrics. You know the the important stats that we uh, point to a lot during the series and and in our. FBS team profiles so you know a a season that unfortunately was a a little bit of a a lost season I don't feel like we learned a ton about Purdue because I don't think we saw Purdue really at full strength all year Um, and and so hopefully they will be able to uh, you know get another year in be healthier have more health um, you know more consistency at the quarterback position David Bell I think is in line for an absolutely huge year I know i I Participated in a early uh, CFF draft a, a couple of weeks ago, and he was the first wide receiver taken in that draft. And pretty much the consensus in the uh, you know the chat as it was going on was everybody agreed he's he's you know the number one uh, option at, at wide receiver there. So a lot of people expect a, a really you know great statistical season for him. We'll just sort of have to see if if you know other guys can step in and, and become playmakers as well. They can get consistency at the quarterback position. Carl Loftus can come back and and be fully healthy and be uh, probably one of the best pass rushers, certainly in the Big Ten, if not in the entire country. And then you know the new defense, if, if they'll be able to plug some holes. Four starters ended up off uh, lose, you know, going off to the uh, NFL draft. If they'll be able to to have a little bit more success uh, under the new defensive coordinator, who has a, a pretty strong track record. So it's uh, certainly a a you know a, a team that our numbers don't necessarily you know respect Purdue a ton because their uh, roster strength uh, ratings are are pretty low. but uh, they you know are a dangerous team. They have a pretty favorable schedule, play Yukon, uh, play Illinois, play uh, you know some winnable games early. It definitely gets tougher from there and and they do have a a pretty tough draw with ohio state coming out of uh the east and then of course they play indiana on an annual basis as well as all the you know pretty pretty tough teams in in the west so it's going to be difficult i think for purdue to uh make it back to 500. i i certainly you know we've seen the boilermakers overachieve in the past it's been a couple of years but i think they are are potentially capable of that but getting to a bowl probably would be uh, my version of a successful season. It's going to be difficult to envision seven, eight, nine wins, something like that. But uh, they're certainly a team that, you know, can jump up and and knock off. Uh, We've seen them beat Ohio State a couple of times in the past. You know, they'll have opportunities against uh, division rivals, Iowa, Wisconsin, Northwestern, you know, the the defending uh, champion in the division. They can beat those teams if everything sort of lines up, uh, on you know any given Saturday, but they're not necessarily built at this point. Uh, at least as far as our early projections seem to indicate, not really built to to be a team that's going to be a you know division contender this year. Uh, might be fortunate to to win enough games to get back to a bowl game.
1: Xavier, what do you think? Do you, do you think they can get back to a bowl game this year, or they're lacking the depth, like Nick said?
2: You know, honestly, I don't, I don't see why not. You know, this is a team that last year could have easily made a bowl game if they just, you know, if, if the ball bounced a different way in half of their ball games. They were in pretty much all of them. Um, you know, we, and when we'll go straight to the 2021 schedule a bit, I think they could start off the year two and I think they could be Oregon State and Yukon. Uh, Notre Dame is I would give them a loss as of right now. I think they're three and one going into the big, going into uh, after Illinois, their first in, uh, Big Ten game. And from there, I think they have a couple of toss up games that they would need to win to get to being a bowl game, like Iowa, like Nebraska, like Michigan State. I don't see why they can't win those ball games. Uh, I, I think that what we'll see next year is possibly the next step for this offense, uh, the, regardless of what, who's that quarterback. I think both quarterbacks last year were actually pretty good. Um, statistically, they almost were, they almost married each other, which is kind of crazy. Uh, they both had the same number of completions with 88. They almost had the same touchdown-to-interception ratio. Uh, Plummer had eight touchdowns for two interceptions. O'Connell had seven touchdowns with two interceptions. So, I mean, I don't think it matters who's at quarterback for them. Uh, I love Xander Orvath. He reminds me of uh, Peyton Hillis slash... Mike Allstott, maybe that's because he's 6'3", 230, uh, and he wears the number 40. But, I mean, this is a guy who's who I think like 10 years ago would have been on everybody's radar as a, as a fun guy to watch in college football. I think Nick's absolutely right. David Bell might be one of the best, if not the best, receiver in college football, even with the injuries he had last year. Still has 625 yards with eight touchdowns, only on 53 receptions. This team, I think, is going to be one of those teams that could, will either – heavily surprise us and, and win eight games, or they'll sit right around what Nick is saying and they'll be right on the cusp of making a bowl game, I, you know? And, and so I, I, I like Purdue. They just, uh, it's just a weird, they have so many toss up games that it's really difficult to say right now, confidently that they're going to be a bona fide bowl team because of the fact that almost every game for them in the big 10 is a toss up outside of maybe Illinois. Uh, going into next year. So, I mean, that's really where you'd say, okay, I can't guarantee that there'll be a bowl team next season. Uh, Nick, uh, Scott, you said that they were ranked 75th
1: nationally. What did you say they were ranked in the Big Ten as far as recruiting was concerned? Uh, seventh in the Big Ten. Not bad for the Big Ten. I, I'm looking at different numbers.
2: That's why I, I'm so Did you get yours from 247 as well? Yeah, 2021. Yeah,
1: it says 14th says so 14th. Okay, yeah, maybe I looked finish. at it wrong. I was doing it very late last night. So, <laughs> last there's year. there's a possibility that I could have screwed a number up here or there. So, because uh, and
2: it makes sense because last year they finished 7th. So I was like maybe he got this year and last uh, year. Oh,
1: yeah, maybe, maybe I did. That that could have so, been it. So,
2: but I mean, once again, they really hit the re- they really hit the transfer portal. I think that they weren't necessarily focusing on the recruiting trial as far as high school students was concerned because they only signed 15 kids. We know that they get uh, uh, 20 plus scholarships to allot to kids in the off season. They picked up a couple of big school transfers. We, got, we have one from Florida, one from South Carolina, one from Auburn, uh, and some lesser schools, one from Western Kentucky and one from UNLV. But if these kids from the bigger schools can come right in and make an immediate impact for this school, for Purdue, I think that they can get to six wins. I keep saying can. And I just can't say guaranteed. And that's the only reason why I'll I'll refrain from calling them a bowl team is because I can't guarantee it.
1: Uh, The next team up here is the aforementioned Ball State. Lost their opener to Miami of Ohio uh, 38-31 and then went undefeated the rest of the year, including a bowl game win against San Jose State in the Arizona Bowl. 95th ranked recruiting class, 5th in the MAC. Eight transfers out, zero transfers in. So they are not using the portal at all. They do have a lot of returning all-MAC conference players here. Wide receiver Justin Hall, right tackle Curtis Blackwell, uh, linebackers Christian Albright, Anthony Epke, Brandon uh, Martin, and corners uh, Amechi Yuzedema, cornerback uh, Bryce Cosby. All all all-conference players. They do have some guys going off to the NFL in Caleb Huntley. Wide, re- uh, wide receiver Antoine Davis and cornerback Antonio Phillips. But, uh, Nick, do you think Ball State uh, can, they, they got a lot coming back here. Do you think that they can, uh, you know, win the MAC again this season? I think it's certainly
0: possible. I think that they were a little bit of a, a surprise uh, MAC champ last year. Our numbers thought that they would be competitive throughout the the course of the season. Thought that they had a good chance of getting back to a bowl game, but certainly didn't expect them to uh, really compete for the conference championship. You know, let alone win it. And uh, they've they return a ton. I mean, you mentioned you know basically half a dozen guys who got some sort of all conference. Uh, recognition last season. They expect uh, 19 total starters combined between offense and defense to return, including a super senior quarterback and Drew Plitt, who threw for over 2,000 yards, 17 touchdowns uh, last season. They do have to replace Caleb Huntley, uh, running back who, who left for the NFL draft and, and uh, one of their top wide receivers as you mentioned but you know uh, justin hall johannes taylor both of those guys coming back are, are absolutely weapons they're you know on the outside they've got uh, a lot of talent at linebacker at multiple as you mentioned uh starters in the secondary earned all mac uh you know uh recognition last season so Even though they might have arrived a year early, they absolutely are are built to uh, make another run at, you know, a a conference title. And they finished, you know, pretty really impressively. Beat Buffalo, who looked absolutely unstoppable for most of the season, held them to 28 points, won that uh, MAC championship game 38-28, and then and an undefeated uh, Mountain West champion, San Jose State, in the bowl game. So absolutely uh, very, very impressed with Ball State last season. They ranked 35th nationally in our team performance ratings. They were a top 30 offense, top 20 special teams unit. Their defensive line uh, ranked 30th in our defensive line performance rating. So on the field, though they don't have you know elite talent numbers by any stretch, they rank 101st. Uh, on the offensive side and, and our talent number 78th on defense, 89th overall, but they played like a legitimate, you know, top 35 team last season. And, and a lot of the stats uh, really lined up with that. I mean, and, and, you know, net yards per play, they only rank 60th by an EPA margin. They ranked 28th. They were 33rd in uh, net points per drive and, and they were 43rd in net yards per pass attempt. So very, you know, solid team. Uh, I, I think that they return enough that they have to be uh, considered among the, the MAC favorites next year. We've talked about several MAC teams already, and, and mentioned that it's always a wide open, uh, you know, wide open conference. And I think that that is probably you know true again this year. The next team that we're going to be talking about actually is a MAC team. So even though they are the the MAC champs, uh, we had Ohio you know, ranked one spot higher, if there had been a, a, you know, game, uh, if there were a game between Ball State and and Ohio tomorrow, you know, our our end of season 2020 ratings, if it were a neutral field, we'd have Ohio as a a very, very slight favorite. So, you know, the margin is very, very thin in the Mac, and it's probably going to be that way in in 2021. Again, I'm not going to be at all shocked if they don't begin the season as our highest rated uh, Mac team, I you know we haven't talked about Toledo, we haven't talked about Western Michigan, we haven't talked about Buffalo. I think all those teams are going to be contenders, but Ball State certainly, based off the success they had last year, based off the uh, you know just sheer amount of returning production, they absolutely are, are going to be in the mix. I think to to win it again next year, and and you know uh, you guys will I'll go over the schedule as well. They have a week two. Uh, Matchup at Penn State came off a you know a, a little bit of a, a downer of a year in 2021 started really slow. That's not you know that's not an impossible task necessarily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then and then everybody else that they play in the non conference FCS uh, Western Illinois at Wyoming and uh, Army. You know tough matchups, uh, especially Wyoming and, and Army, but not not. You know, uh, they they could certainly go three and one in the non-conference, uh, absolutely. And and then you know every week in the MAC is a winnable game for for Ball State. So they could potentially you know be a double-digit win uh, team. They could absolutely uh, make it back to the MAC championship and and win the title again. Uh, but it's it's very very difficult to repeat. Um, but mm-hmm. I absolutely think that that Ball State is going to be in the mix.
1: What do you think Xavier? Uh, are you with Nick on ball state potentially returning to the top of the Mac here?
0: I
2: mean, it's going to be difficult and uh, I don't know if this is any disrespect, but uh, ball state has Miami of Ohio, who we'll talk about in a second as their homecoming game. So, you know, you, you get an added bit of, you know, panache to that game. Uh, but I, I really like ball state and, and it's funny. You know, I was thinking about, well, are they going to be able to replace the production of Antoine Davis? Well, Johan's, Tyler, who was a junior in that last year, is going to be a senior this year, had more production points than him in 2020. And every position where I see a guy leaving, they just replace him with like a junior or a senior, which is just ridiculous. You know, we talked about Antonio Phillips. He's leaving. They're going to replace him with a junior, uh, probably Tyler Potter, or Nick Jones, so who both turn, get into their junior year this year. So this team has so much production coming back. And you almost expect where the team wins a conference and brings back all of, you know, but three starters – You expect them to at least compete for the championship. Um, I don't see why they can't. Nick, you absolutely hit it right on the head. That Penn State game, I am circling that as a cover for them because I absolutely think that they can. Uh, obviously, we don't know what Penn State will look like going into next year. Maybe last year was just a mulligan, and next year will be better. But I'm definitely thinking that they can cover in that game uh, with all of the talent that they have bringing back. Uh, I-, I think Ball State can run the table. I mean, obviously with the MAC, it's one of those weird conferences where you never really know. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, they should at least be an 8-9 to nine win team next year you know they should by far be an eight to nine win team Um, on the recruiting trail things are looking up for them as well they finished 95th nationally uh where they finished 123rd the year before they finished fifth in the mac this year where they finished ninth previously uh so and you know i I really really like where ball state is going in their trajectory at the moment so i mean ball state being a bowl team absolutely winning the mac they can do it um, and I am really excited to watch that homecoming matchup with the team we talk about next.
1: Yeah, ringing the bell is Ohio here, and they were two and one last season. Uh, only got to play three of their six scheduled games, so hard to know what you really have here. They had the hundredth ranked recruiting class in the nation this year, ninth in the MAC. One transfer in, four out. They return uh, running back to Montre Tuggle, who was an All All MAC. RB last year, but uh, center Brent, uh, Brett Cottrell and defensive end Austin Conrad are off to the NFL. So uh, tough to gauge a, a team that only played three games last year, Nick, but the numbers got them ahead of Ball State. So interesting, uh, interesting team here in Ohio.
0: Yeah, it's it's uh, one of the teams probably that, that I think we learned absolutely the least about Last season, so I I think that this, even though they are technically one spot ahead of Ball State, uh, a lot of that is because they came into the season with a pretty high rating according to our numbers. We thought Ohio would be a, a contender in the MAC East last year, uh, and they just didn't play enough. and And the two of the three games that they played were against Akron and, and Bowling Green, who uh, are among the the very worst in college football. So Ohio was able to put up numbers that, uh, you know, they finished uh, in the top 40 in team performance overall. They finished 34th on the offensive side of the ball. They were a top 50 offensive line uh, as far as our performance ratings go and, and you know, have, have got some good coaching uh, numbers as well, uh, just based on, you know, previous history. So I think in some ways, Ohio might be a little bit overrated because uh, you know that it, we just it's it's so difficult to tell and, and as far as our uh, you know talent numbers go, Ohio consistently ranks among the lower teams in the Mac in, in recruiting and, and therefore are among the lowest in college football. They rank 107th in our offensive talent numbers, 117th defensively and 111th overall. So on paper this is the least talented team that we've talked about. You know, since we were in the the triple digits, but they are a consistent program. They uh, traditionally are are you know pretty explosive in a lot of ways on offense. Uh, have a, a you know several top options at running back. Devontae Tuggle was the guy last year in in a short spurt, but had a huge three games, but they, you know, O'Shawn Allison was the starter in 2019. He looked great. They've got Julian Ross, who's done some good things as well. And, you know, they they started a redshirt freshman quarterback, Curtis Rourke, who uh, enters as the projected starter, but they also have UNLV transfer uh, Armani Rogers, who, you know, gives them a, an athletic uh, runner out of the backfield as well. Both of those guys got some playing time last season. I, I do believe both are, uh, coming back and and you expect will compete again for that job with Rourke being you know the most likely uh, person to get maybe eighty percent of the snaps but they certainly will mix Rodgers in as well and and you know have to be considered a, a dangerous team offensively for sure uh, defensively they will be experienced they did lose Austin Conrad as you mentioned they're also losing a, a former starter at corner. Marlon Brooks, who entered the transfer portal, was their highest rated uh, defensive back, third highest rated overall player, according to our numbers, uh, on the defensive side of the ball last season. So a couple of holes to fill, and and defense has been the weaker side of the football uh, you know, the last few years at, at Ohio. Their defensive coordinator actually ranks 110th in our DC ratings or or did at the end of last season so uh you know do have a a few concerns on that side of the football I I I don't necessarily trust some of the really in some ways excellent numbers they had defensively last season they ranked 13th in points per drive allowed uh and they ranked uh, 16th in yards per pass attempt uh, allowed on defense, thirty-second and EPA per play defensively. Don't necessarily trust that because two of those three games, as we mentioned, were uh, Bowling Green and Akron, and and they were a team that we had some concerns defensively coming into last season. So I, I think Ohio might have been a, a little overrated by our numbers, as I mentioned. But you know they are consistently a contender in the MAC. They they have not really been able to actually. Get it done, get over the hump, and and uh, win the MAC title. But they seem to always be among the preseason favorites, among the uh, you know early in in the year, look like a, a contender. I expect that to be you know a similar case next season. They've got a tough non-conference schedule. Uh, play two Power Five opponents in Syracuse and Northwestern. They also play Louisiana, who we expect to be you know a top thirty-five type team again and a Sun Belt conference uh title contender they play both Buffalo and Kent State who are you know certainly going to be among the uh, Mac title contenders and Toledo is always among the the most talented teams in the Mac so difficult schedule but I, I do think that Ohio is capable of winning any individual game in the Mac and, and certainly capable I think of winning enough games to get back to a bowl I just am not sure that they're you know, really deserving of a, a spot in the top 70 in our numbers. I, I think that they have the potential to be a little overrated next season because of these team performance ratings. Maybe that's just a little bit inflated. I would, if I were, you know, just writing down one through one third, one through 130, how I personally would would uh, rank them not using our numbers, I probably would slot them into maybe the 80s and, and kind of take a wait and see approach. But they're certainly a team that that is going to compete week in and week out. They're probably going to be favored in games more often than not. And, and I think certainly capable of getting back to a bowl game. Not sure that they really will contend for the the Mac East uh, or the Mac title, but it wouldn't also, you know, also wouldn't shock me if they do make a run and, and are in the mix there at the end of the year as well.
1: What do you think, Xavier? Do you think that they're a little bit overrated or do you think this is a team that could get over the hump this year? So you know, once again, with a, with such a small sample size that Ohio
2: has, I don't know what to really extrapolate from that and pull from it going into next season. You know, you start off this season with a loss to Central Michigan, and you know, it's just so hard to say next year. You know, they, or one, they're Nick, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, but are they our highest-rated MAC team?
0: Uh, no, we we haven't talked about uh toledo yet i don't believe okay. western michigan is going to be and certainly buffalo buffalo was top 30 when they uh lost to ball state and and we expected you know they were a pretty heavy favorite according to our numbers in that in that game so a couple of couple of mac teams still to go but they are so one of the mid years okay yeah mid to top top quarter we'll say so they're, they're in that top four or five
2: and, and when and when you have such a shortened season in which they did, it's really hard to pull from that and say that next year they'll be right where they were this year and where they are traditionally atop or close to a top, the top of the uh, the MAC. I, I you know I hate to beat a dead horse, but we say this with every MAC team; it's the MAC, so you have to be careful of saying that this team this year will be able to run the table when they could easily end up four and eight, and we turn around and we go, okay, it's very well possible. You know, can they go three? Can they win? Can they win out in their non-conference schedule? I don't think so. I think that they will lose at least two of them. And going two and two, or going, excuse me, yeah, two and two into their conference schedule. I don't know if they're going to be able to carry any kind of momentum after playing Louisiana and Northwestern. Those kind of games really can take the air out of and the steam out of a team. And if that's what happens, as you move into a schedule that features Akron that features Central Michigan, that features going to Buffalo, which Nick said, and, and the advent of this year, we should look be looking for fans as well. I think that means it's going to be more so to these away games than in last year's – in last year. So I, I, I just can't say Ohio is going to be able to build upon a two-in-one season in which they had last year. I'm comfortable saying five to six wins – I think there's a lot of toss-ups in here. Obviously, we talked about Ohio. I, we're going to talk about Toledo, which I think they're going. Like Nick said, they're going to go into underdogs as, uh, and on top of that, going two and two in your conference schedule, which means you've got to win at least four of your, you know, eight uh, conference scheduling games. I'm not so sure if they can make it to a bowl game this year. I'm comfortable saying five games, but they can ease. They could get to that sixth
1: one. The next team up here is Wake Forest, and they they had a. Uh, You know, every team had a weird 2020, but theirs was uh, maybe even weirder than most because they showed glimpses. They had a four game win streak in the middle of the year. Uh, Nick, they lost in their uh, game to their uh, bowl game, uh, of course. But uh, they they were pretty close against North Carolina, too. And uh, they have the 65th ranked recruiting class, which is at at the bottom of the ACC. Only three transfers in, nine out. Ah, uh, they return uh, all-conference wide receiver Ja'Kari Robinson, but Sage Surratt and Carlos Basham, two of their best players, are gone. So, uh, your thoughts on Wake Forest in twenty twenty-one this year, Nick?
0: Wake Forest is a team that I know. You know, I've I've, I've listened to a few you know early preseason podcasts out there, and and uh, there are some folks who seem to think that Wake Forest there's a, there's a little bit of a buzz. And on one hand, I understand it because they did, as you mentioned, show uh, some real flashes last year. The, the you know, 59-53 loss to North Carolina uh, was a, a pretty incredible game that they were in control of early on and, and just weren't quite able to uh, slow down North Carolina at all. But you know that, that defensive uh, shortcoming has, has been a little bit of an issue for Wake Forest, but there are offensive upside has been exciting enough traditionally to you know make Wake Forest a, a fun team to watch. They've had some talented players in the past. You mentioned Jacory Robertson is uh, among the most productive receivers in in college football. I mean, he uh, absolutely stepped up with Sage Sherratt opting out prior to the year and and I know, you know, a lot of folks were excited about Donovan Green sort of the the bigger, uh, you know, deep threat target, a uh, bigger body, uh, kind of guy, but Roberson is just absolutely, you know, productive, just gets open, moves the chains, uh, caught a lot of passes, was targeted a ton and, and, you know, got in the end zone, uh, what, nine times last year. So certainly a, a, or eight times almost made it to a, a thousand yards and, and was really, uh, in a lot of ways, a security blanket for Sam Hartman, but you know also has a a a lot of playmaking ability as well hartman for the most part all year did a great great job taking care of the football had one interception in the regular season and then threw four in the uh bowl game against wisconsin i think it was in the the course of nine snaps had four (laughs) interceptions so just a a dreadful end of the season for him but you know did a lot of good things throughout the course of the regular season they uh you know the the backfield there's they've had a two-headed monster recently with christian beale smith and kenneth walker the third well, walker is transferred to michigan state on the one hand that's a big loss I mean, he was a double-digit touchdown guy but you know bill smith actually was the the leading rusher nice in some ways to have a little bit more uh you know, to to have kind of one guy that you can go to. Certainly, you want depth, and and you need multiple running backs. But uh, in some cases, it's it's uh, you know, in some ways, a, a good thing to know. Okay, this is our this is our bell cow type guy, and so maybe. Christian Bill Smith will be that guy moving forward, uh, but you know I've got some some concerns defensively, and and you know Wake Forest did rank 88th in yards per play allowed last season, 96th in EPA per play, 97th in points per drive allowed, 98th in success rate against, 79th in yards per pass attempt allowed. So across the board, statistically speaking, uh, Wake Forest had a lot of problems, and they're losing some really talented players. Boogie Basham being. Uh, one of the best pass rushers in the ACC for sure somebody who's going to be drafted and and I think have a uh, you know solid pro career they also are are losing their uh, you know top tackler Jaquez Williams to the transfer portal after 73 tackles last year so they they've got some concerns and, and also some personnel issues they did have a an absolute diamond in the rough find with Nick Anderson who was a Uh, all ACC player as a true freshman walk-on last season. So, you know, perhaps he's somebody that uh, will be able to to take a a little bit bigger role. Uh, Miles Fox, they were able to to get a really, really productive season from him as a transfer, grad transfer from Old Dominion. Uh, He, I believe, will be back as a, a super senior next year. But you know, I've got I've got some concerns. They're losing a former sa- uh, starting safety, Trey Rucker, as a transfer to Oklahoma State, and you know, defensively, they they absolutely have some work to do. And and really, Wake Forest, you know, I, I think since uh, who is it, Mike Elko, who, who left Wake Forest to go to Notre Dame and has since been at Texas A and M, they've been very susceptible defensively since he left. I know they've had injury issues for multiple years in a row, but you know, this, this uh, unit, I think really they're going to need to take a step forward defensively uh, before, you know, I know that our numbers will respect Lake Forest as a, a team. That's going to be a consistent, you know, getting back to bowls year in and year out. And and they have gotten to a lot of bowls, but our, our numbers, because as you mentioned, the recruiting ratings aren't quite there. We need to see, you know, them really close the gap in those team performance numbers to be able to rise up in our rankings. And, you know, they were a top 60 team in team performance, but they were 92nd in defense. They were 43rd offensively, 92nd on defense. So need to get a uh, solid play from both sides of the football to be able to sort of overcome that talent gap where they're working with a roster that, you know, is is very mediocre as far as FBS goes, just to, you know numbers speaking there were 66th in our uh, offensive talent numbers at the end of last season, 65th defensively and 70th overall. so that's right in the middle in, in all three categories in college football and and so they're not going to out uh, athlete anyone. they've mm-hmm. got some some real you know nice pieces some some very solid players but similar to purdue, the depth really just isn't quite. There and and so it's going to be difficult, I think, for Wake Forest to take a a big step until that defense takes a, another step forward. Now looking ahead at at the schedule, it's very manageable. So all that I I said about you know not the most talented team and and all of that, they've got a lot of winnable games and and really the the trip to Clemson uh, and maybe I guess the 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 trip to North Carolina those are probably the only games on the schedule that I think you just, you can write that L and pin. And even then North Carolina being a, you know, a big time rival, just, just down the road. Um, and, and they're losing a lot of playmakers on offense, especially that's, you know, possibly a, a winnable game as well. So I think Wake Forest is going to be in a lot of games. I think they're going to play a lot of uh, shootouts again in 2021, similar to what they had in 2020. I just don't know that I can trust them to win consistently and get to, you know, seven, eight, nine wins. It's not out of the realm of possibility, but uh, they absolutely are going to have to to get that defense fixed. And, and you know, our Going to have, you know, still have a little bit of room to to improve offensively, as well. If if they're going to be able to uh, really become a contender in the ACC, so I think bowl eligibility is possible. Uh, probably, you know, maybe even should be expected because the schedule is so manageable. But I, I think that there's a, a limited ceiling where eight wins is is probably the best case scenario. I think for for Wake Forest in 2021.
1: Yeah, Xavier, so eight wins would get them to a bowl, but like Nick said, this team is uh, crazy and consistent. They go on spurts like their four-game winning streak, and they can play uh, some teams close, but they never seem to put it all together.
2: Yeah, and, and, and when you look at Wake Forest last year, I mean, this is a team, and I think they even got a little lucky last year with the games that got canceled. I mean, this is a team that probably could have been more of the line of four and six uh, you know five and six last year really, you know, they they dodged Notre Dame in week three. Or the game against Notre Dame was postponed. So that's probably a loss for them last year. Uh their last game of the season against Florida State's a toss up. And I think the only one that they win that was canceled last year was their game at Duke. So that Finishes as a five and six ball club, and and you know not necessarily bowl eligible, uh, you know as, as opposed to being four and four, which was a weird la- year last year. They might have still gotten into a bowl game, but I think the games that they missed allowed them to also be a more favorable team as far as their record is concerned. Uh, when we look at their schedule, as Nick was alluding to, they've got to run the table like the first six weeks of the season. They they have to, you know they they face Old Dominion, Norfolk State, Florida State, Virginia, Louisville, and Syracuse. After that, barring Duke. I think every other game is a toss-up. You know, they play at Army. I think that's a toss-up game. I think at North Carolina, maybe a You may maybe uh, an L that we pencil in, depending on how North Carolina looks at that point. I think versus NC State isn't a cakewalk. I think that's a toss-up. And I think at Clemson and at Boston College to end the year are both, you know, a loss to Clemson and a toss-up game versus Boston College. So those first six matchups, or might be how they get to a bowl game next year. Uh, you know, the only game I look at out of their first six and I'm a little concerned about it, is that is against Florida State and that's surely based off of Florida State's talent that they bring in, whether or not they'll be able to run with those horses that they have down there at Florida State. I'm not so sure, but we all know Florida State is not necessarily the most cohesive unit as of right now. Um, I will say this I think Wake Forest will benefit a lot from so many teams losing offensive talent you know it's it's really easy for a defense to perform when the other team has lost most of their talent you know we talk about a Louisville team which they lost to last year losing to to, at will losing Jalen Hawkins you know those guys they won't have to see this year so that's a you know that'll be a plus for the defense Uh, you know you talk about Florida State, you know, they won't have to see Tamori and Terry, even though they they didn't necessarily have to last year. The talent coming back for Florida State on offense is less. Nick said it already. The talent coming back for North Carolina is less offensively. So maybe we see less shootouts next year. Maybe that's because of the lack of talent that's coming back into the ACC going into this year, and they benefit from it. Um, On the recruiting trail, they're okay. You know, they finished 65th, 65th nationally, but they finished 60th last year, and they're already back in the 60s this year looking to finish 62nd or around that range coming into uh, this next year into 2022. The one bad look on it is they finished dead last in the ACC. And and now, and granted, yes, Wake Forest is a high academic school, so you kind of get that kind of situation when you're at a Wake Forest, kind of like a Vandy or situations like that, but it's still not a good look to finish dead last in your conference uh, when it comes to recruiting, uh, especially being it, it, being in a Southern conference with so much talent around you. It's such a rich talent area. Uh, but for Wake Forest, I'm going to say five wins. I don't think they'll be able to go six and out to start the year or run the table. Like I think they need to, um, I'll go with five wins comfortably for them. If they get to six or seven, that'll be because they win a couple of the toss up games that they have on their schedule. Um, I like Sam Hartman. He has to take the next step as a quarterback. He can no longer be just a game manager. Um, if they're going to get to that seventh win, you know, his numbers last year, a very game manager, like, you know, he had, he threw for 2,000 yards, 13 touchdowns, five interceptions. That's not going to get you to a bowl game in 2020, uh, in this 2021 season. So I really think he needs to take the next step. And if he can do that, they may be able to repeat what they did in, uh, oh my God, his name just in Jamie Newman's last season, where they were able to win those toss-up games and get to a bowl game in 2019, uh, where they were one of the better teams in the, uh, in the ACC that year.
1: Now we head to the SEC for the next team, and it's Mississippi State. And uh, you talk about inconsistent. You know, they they surprised everybody by beating uh, LSU in the opener and having you know the most passing yards against an SEC defense. And uh, in, in conference history, it was crazy. Then they won their last two games, including a win in the bowl game in the Armed Forces Bowl over Tulsa, who was ranked. Uh, they beat um, Missouri 52 to 32, which was an upset at the time. But the sandwich games in between there were pretty terrible, and they wound up going four and seven. Twenty-six ranked recruiting class, which is obviously good overall, but that ranks tenth in the SEC. They had six transfers in and got a big one from uh, from uh, Jack quarterback Jack Abraham coming in. But this is what happens when you have a controversial coach. 18 transfers out of Mississippi state. So a lot of moving pieces here. Um, they have three all 2020 all sec freshmen returning left tackle, Charles cross wide receiver, Jaden Wally and cornerback Emmanuel Forbes all coming back. Uh, but they're losing a bunch of good pieces too. And quarterback KJ Costello running back Kylan Hill edge defender, uh, Kobe Jones and linebacker, Errol Thompson going into the draft. So Nick Mississippi state, Uh, tough team to figure out in the SEC. Good recruiting class, but not good in the SEC. So uh, this is going to be, it seems like, maybe another difficult year for Mike Leach.
0: It's They're they're certainly a difficult team to project. And and Mississippi State started last season ranked in our top, I think in our top 25, certainly in our top 30 in our, our power rankings. We had really, really high expectations for KJ Costello. He seemed like. Uh, a pretty perfect fit for uh, the uh, the air raid offense under uh, under Mike Leach. And, and, you know, in game one looked, you know, everything went according to script and, and even better. Uh, at that time, we had no idea, you know, how bad LSU's defense would be. And, and though, you know, we didn't necessarily expect them to, to look like 2019 LSU, we didn't expect them. All, I think they were like a 17-point favorite. Over Mississippi State in that game, and and were ranked in the top ten uh, nationally, if not the the top five. So, uh, you know that that was a a huge huge win to start. Uh, got a lot of people really excited in Starkville, and and looked like you know, hey, this is a team that maybe can compete in in the SEC West, and and uh, you know, uh, go toe to toe with with teams like Texas A and M and Auburn, and it just ended up not working that way, Uh, opponents were able to, you know, adjust really quickly, learned a lot from that first game against LSU and and were able to do some things that LSU, you know, didn't to really slow down the offense. After that point, Mississippi State offensively was – uh, not not good. I mean, you know, 103rd in the country in yards per play, 112th in EPA per play offensively, 109th in points per drive. Uh, They were 83rd in success rate and 113th in yards per pass attempt. And, you know, we know that, that the, the Mike Leach version of the, the traditional air raid is a lot of, you know, crossing routes, short passes and, and things like that. But, you know, we're used to seeing more Explosive plays, and and after that LSU game, we saw very very few of those. the the de- uh, the defense surprisingly enough was uh, absolutely the the strength of the team. They finished in the top thirty nationally in yards per play allowed. They were forty fifth in EPA per play defensively, top fifty in uh, points per drive, and and uh, right there, you know, fifty first in in success rate against. So the defense. Uh, Really kind of carried Mississippi State most of the season, kept them competitive in in some of those games that they lost. And and eventually, you know, once really the the true freshmen started to take over the offense, we start at the very end of the year started to see uh, some some glimmers of of hope to to end the season on a high note carry some momentum into the offseason offensively Will Rogers became a, a dependable starter Costello had some uh, injuries early on and and uh, I think eventually just wasn't able to, to win his job back Rogers came in you know wasn't wasn't spectacular but was solid 11 touchdowns 7 interceptions only 5.7 yards per pass that certainly has to get better but he brought some consistency to the position Jaquavian Marks ended up being uh, also a true freshman the leading rusher uh, of course Kylan Hill uh, you know opted out after the first couple of games and Marks you know caught 62 passes led the team in receptions only 276 yards on those but uh, was a dependable uh, option out of the the backfield as a receiver. But then Jaden Wally was the leading uh, receiver with seven hundred and eighteen yards. fifty two catchers was targeted eighty three times, uh, really kind of eclipsed guys like Osiris Mitchell, who had a solid year, but you know, w- was was uh, big in in that week one win and then just kind of you know, never really quite lived up to that the rest of the year. Wally ends up again, another true freshman. Uh, Leading the team in in receiving, so those three guys give you reason to be optimistic that the offense will continue to improve and and maybe make a jump in year two. But you know, you mentioned that they brought in uh, Abraham, a former starter at, at Southern Miss. They brought in three quarterback transfers and a, a pretty highly routed, uh, highly touted. Uh, True freshman recruit coming in as well. So, you know, Will Rogers. I, I think there's reason to be optimistic about him in 2021 if he's able to win the job. But he's going to have a lot of competition. Uh, you know, to 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 hold on to that top spot on the depth chart and defensively, they you know a lot of reason to be excited about the the unit and and what they have coming back in the secondary. They had a, a you know several top playmakers. I mean, Martin Emerson had 11 uh, pass breakups last year. Emmanuel Forbes picked off five passes, returned three of them for touchdowns. Both of those guys are coming back. Uh, They only lose uh, Marcus Murphy as a starter in the secondary, but they do have to replace Errol Thompson, uh, you know, who's played a lot of football, made a lot of tackles for them over the the last several years. And and then Marquis Spencer and Kobe Jones, uh, starters up front gone as well, so they they will have to sort of remake that unit. They've got some very talented and and productive pieces, especially in the back seven. But it's going to you know a lot of new faces there on defense and and you know the offensive line. As you mentioned, a couple of guys off to the NFL as well. So there are reasons I think to be optimistic that especially on offense they will take a step forward there is, is, you know, even though maybe, you know, there, there was a lot of talk that, oh, will this Mike Leach offense work in the SEC? And in year one, it, it certainly didn't. I still think that he will, you know, figure it out and, and Mississippi State will be a dangerous offensive team. I think they will take a step forward. I think the defense probably overachieved in, in uh, 2020 and it's going to be difficult to play quite up to that level again next year. But I, I think the two units will be... A little bit more balanced, at least statistically, next season. Where you know maybe neither is is uh, a top twenty-five unit or, or maybe even a top forty unit, but I think they'll both be middle of the road, top sixty nationally. You know, middle of the pack in the SEC type type situation. So I think Mississippi State is a, a talented team and, and does have uh, you know picked up some some big experience at, at some important spots next year. The schedule. Especially in the front half is is pretty brutal. It's going to be imperative to start strong. They've got Louisiana Tech, NC State, and Memphis in the non-conference, and NC State I think is a team on the rise. Memphis is a dangerous team, uh, and, and then their you know first three games in SEC play LSU at Texas A and M and Alabama. So it's going to be you know really really difficult to get off to a. Uh, super hot start next year. I think it's going to be difficult to go 3-0 in, in non-conference play, and it's going to be difficult to avoid an 0-3 start in SEC play. So, you know, this is a team I, I think there are enough wins on the schedule to uh, get back to a bowl game. They'll play coin flips against, you know, Kentucky, Arkansas. Uh, Ole Miss is always a tough game. And and then, you know, they do have some uh, – they have a game against Vanderbilt. They get as the the crossover – uh, out of the luck of the draw, there and in, in uh, you know from the SEC East, and then Tennessee State from uh, you know an FCS opponent there at the end of the year. I, I think they might be able to cobble together enough games to get back to a bowl, but it, it's going to be difficult to really improve and and take that step toward you know seven eight wins and and uh, really rise in the standings in the SEC West. I, I think that they will be an improved team, but the record might not look uh, much better once all is said and done.
1: I mean, Xavier, you know, Nick just kind of laid it out. The schedule's rough. Uh, You know, Mississippi State's a respected team, but the SEC is a a beast and their non-conference schedule's tough. So your expectations for Mississippi State going into 2021? I mean, Nick hit it right on the head. It's a tale of two seasons for them. They've got the first half of the season and the second half of the
2: season. I mean, they could – go 1 and 5 going into their their you know fourth SEC game against Vanderbilt and then from there you you have to handle your business um you know and so i think if you're a mississippi state fan first 5 to 6 weeks don't read too much into it you know it's going to get ugly at times it's going to look really bad at times but there's light at the end of the tunnel you know, you're, you're going to be, you know, you, you get Vandy October 23rd. And from there, that is really where their season starts for me. Uh, you know, like Nick said, the second half of the schedule was Vanderbilt, Kentucky, Arkansas, Auburn, uh, Tennessee State, and Ole Miss, obviously, in in the Egg Bowl. But, you know, that's where they'll either make it or break it. Uh, and so I think that, you know, it's very possible that this team is right back to where they were last year, a 4-7 and seven ball club. Uh, four and eight ball club um, excuse me and, and that is what I think they'll finish four and eight five and seven is where I can comfortably say that they'll sit um, out of their toss-up games I think they get a little bit luckier than they did last year I think Arkansas was a very much improved team in 2020 uh, t- um, Kentucky was a better team in 2020 than I think that they'll be this year uh, and, and so I think that the games, the games that they lost last year, you would have looked at the schedule early on last year. You would probably would have given them uh, a win uh, when we looked at their games last year. But I, I will say this. Towards the end of the year, Nick's absolutely right. That defense started to come around a lot. You know, that Georgia game, 20, 31-24. Uh, they lose to Ole Miss, 31-24. They lose uh, to Auburn in, in, in a slugfest, 24-10. to So the defense was keeping them in ball games. What will really be telling for me going into next year is whether or not Mike Leach just learned his lesson. You know, people said to start the year off, you're not going to be able to dip and dunk in the SEC. You're not going to be able to just run crossing routes for the entire year. And you're not going to, and more importantly, and he really saw this and this is probably why he made his quarterback changes. You're not just going to get seven minutes in the pocket to be able to make a decision like you were doing in the PAC 12. And that's really why we saw, saw him change to Will Rogers, change to a more mobile quarterback down the stretch last year, uh, uh, opposite of KJ Costello, who is much more of a of a pocket passer and, and much more stationary. And so I, I think if Mike Leach has learned this lesson and diversifies his offense and gets those explosive plays back and has learned that he just doesn't have the time that he used to, then they could they could get to a bowl game. But if he's stubborn and decides, you know, you know, Denzel Washington style and remember the Titans, it's like Nova Kane doing it and it'll work eventually then this is a four and seven four and eight ball club uh or excuse me four and eight five and seven ball club and i don't you know from that respect i think that's where they'll sit um it's funny that you mentioned a recruiting trail scott because you know they ranked 26 nationally they were still in the bottom half of the sec which is so weird to think of you know you finish 26 nationally you still finish 10th in the sec yeah.
1: you know and,
2: and you know you're like well we finished top 25 but it doesn't matter when Every team above us, it, our teams are teams that we are going to have to look at on the schedule. So Mississippi State, I think, is trending in the right direction on the recruiting trail. But what I will say is Mike Leach has got to change his ide- you know, his philosophy just a little bit. He doesn't have to completely throw it out. But he, the dip and dunk that he was trying to do last year is just not going to work game in and game out. These SEC teams are too big and too fast to continue to try to win that way. Um, but if he's going to be stubborn, there'll be a 4-8, 5-7 and, eight, five and seven ball club, and that's where I think they'll be.
1: Yeah, and if uh, Mike Leach is known for one thing, it's being stubborn. So uh, we'll see how it turns out. The next team here in the Big 12 is uh, Texas Tech. And, you know, tough team to figure out once again. Last season, they were four and six. Uh, They barely beat uh, Houston Baptist in the opener. They lost to Texas in overtime. They should have won that game. They did win two of their final three. They got a win over Baylor. They uh, barely beat Kansas. Uh, They had the 70th ranked recruiting class with which a lot like, you know, Mississippi State higher for the teams that we've talked about. But that's 10th in the Big 12, Uh, seven transfers in, including quarterback Tyler Shook from Oregon, which is a big one, but 16 transfers out. That's the second most I've seen behind uh, Mississippi State. So uh, Matt Wells running a lot of those guys off wide receiver. Eric is and center Dawson Deaton were all big 12 and they're coming back. This year, uh, wide receiver, TJ Basher, guard, Jack Anderson, cornerback, Zach McPherson, and, uh, safety Thomas Leggett are all going to the NFL. So they lose a lot, uh, on both sides of the ball, it, but they do bring in a new coach, uh, uh, Sonny Comby, who was the OC at TCU last year is taking over for them. So, uh, Nick, uh, moving pieces here. A lot of them for Texas tech, uh, rough year last year. What do you expect for them going into 2021?
0: I, I honestly have no idea. Um, you know, I, 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 even though teams like Purdue, Wake Forest, Mississippi State, you know, they're all sort of in the same mold where they're towards the, the back end of their conference as far as talent goes. But there is enough potential to think, you know, that it, it's a dangerous team. It's a team that certainly can get to a bowl game. And, you know, if things click in the right way, maybe they could end up as a a top 40 team, maybe even uh, when all is said and done, you know, finish as a a top 25 team in the AP poll, something like that. I think uh, Texas State gives me a, a similar feel. There are reasons to be optimistic, you know, as you can, as you mentioned, one of the best, receivers in, in the Big Twelve. Uh Sir Roderick Thompson had a had a solid year, is a is a uh you know a sturdy running back, can be dangerous. Uh their offensive line has, you know, had a, a couple of uh, solid players last year. Dawson Deaton, you mentioned the center is coming back, and and there were a lot of new faces there. Both of their tackles were transfers in, in their first year, but you know those guys coming back, uh, you think that okay they'll they'll at least be solid uh, there at, at center and, and on the outside, even though they're losing Jack Anderson, who was their best offensive lineman, and and then defensively, Texas Tech, especially against the pass, was one of the most improved. Defenses in college football last year, they in in 2019 allowed 9.2 yards per pass attempt last year. They cut that by almost two full yards. So, you know, they were down to 7.3, which is, you know, mediocre 56th in the country, but only one other FBS team chopped off a a larger, uh, you know, yards per pass attempt. Uh, uh, off of their 2019 performance. So they were the second most improved team against the pass on a, on a per play basis. And then that really translated to their overall yards per play numbers where they cut it from uh, 5.73 or excuse me, cut it to 5.73, which was uh, you know, almost nine tenths of a, of a yard lower than what they did in, in 2019. That was second best in the Big 12, only Texas had a, a larger uh, improvement in in yards per play defensively last year in the Big 12, and and so you know yesterday in our uh, regular show we talked about the most improved offenses and defenses and overall teams in our team performance ratings. Well, you know Texas Tech was the 26th most improved defense last year, so that's certainly something I think to feel positive about, especially since. Almost everybody in the you know front seven is coming back, and and you know they've got a solid linebacking core. Uh, Kashawn Merriweather was the leading tackler as a first year uh, junior college transfer last season. Colin Schooler is a guy who's a hundred rated player in our. Ratings based on just uh, incredible production numbers when he was at Arizona had 24 uh, production points the previous two seasons in his first year at Texas Tech after he transferred last year had 11. He's going to be coming back as a super senior and they've also got Rico Jeffers who is almost there at at a 100 rated player as well. So that you know those three guys they're they're going to put together a uh, linebacking core that already at at the end of uh, the season last year ranked. 44th in our uh numbers i expected it to be you know a top 30 uh unit next year and and the secondary was really the strength of the team in in as i said most improved in, in yards per pass attempt but uh they were a top 10 unit in our talent numbers in in the uh, defensive backfield last season they do have to replace two starters but they get Uh, three full-time starters back so I think that defensively similarly to to Mississippi State you know we're not used to a Texas Tech team where defense carries you know carries the team the defense was the the more dependable side of the football and that in a lot of ways was what they were last season and then they were certainly showed the most improvement on that side of the ball but you know offensively we're used to Texas Tech being a uh, similarly to, to a Mike, you know, Mike Leach coach team at Mississippi State, we're used to Texas Tech really lighting up the scoreboard, ranking among uh, at least you know the top 15 passing offenses in the country, that sort of thing. Well, you know, last year on a, on a per play basis, they were middle of the road, 68 yards per play, but. EPA and expected points added per play, 102nd nationally. Points per drive, they were 93rd. They were 90th in yards per pass attempt, 93rd in success rate. So this was just not a good offense. And, and you know, even though they will bring back Izukanma, his, you know, the, the, the other uh, two best wide receivers, TJ Basher and, and Jalen Polk, Polk transferred to Washington. Basher's off to the NFL. Quarterback, you know, what is Tyler Shuck going to be? It looked like he uh kind of lost control of the starting job at the very end of the season for Oregon last year, but he's a guy that's uh, you know, talented, he's experienced, he was a starter, led them to a Pac-12 championship last season. You know, unfortunately, Alan Bowman's had so many injury issues, but you know, maybe Shuck will be able to bring a little more consistency to that position. It was absolutely a surprise that that he ended up picking Texas Tech for me. I, you know, some higher uh, profile teams seem to be in the mix for Shuck when, when we first learned that he was going to be entering the transfer portal, Penn state among them, you know, it, it sounded like he was potentially headed to a team that had top 25 expectations, not necessarily if everything clicks, maybe they could end up squeaking into the top 25 at, at Texas tech. So I think with Shuck coming in, he, sort of help raise the ceiling and, and with some really positive signs defensively. I, I think there's some reason to be optimistic that Texas Tech can put together a, a enough wins challenge for a bowl game. But, you know, it's it's going to be difficult because in our power rankings, they are going to be, you know, I, I think it's pretty certain they're going to be uh, higher than than Kansas and then probably going to be ranked higher than Kansas State in, in our preseason uh, power rankings. But uh, really, that's it. I mean, they're, they're, it's going to be very, very difficult for them to improve upon the 65th uh, ranking as far as our power ratings go. And then it's going to be difficult to expect them to be favored against any other team's you know, in conference play, pick up wins in in conference play. They have to go to West Virginia. You know, you think that that might be their best shot at at another, you know, third most winnable game in in the Big 12, but that is, it's got to be the longest conference game travel in in college football going from Lubbock uh from Lubbock to Morgantown and and then you know the opener against Houston is going to be tough it's technically a a neutral site but it is in Houston uh they should beat Stephen F Austin FCS opponent they should beat FIU most likely but you know they're not going to be favored against Texas they're not going to be favored against TCU even at home they have to go to Oklahoma they have to play Iowa State and Oklahoma State it's it's possible they could cobble together enough wins to get back to bowl eligibility especially if uh shuck you know if they really do hit on shuck and the uh, defense continues to play at the level we saw last year maybe even a little bit better but you know they're going to have to pull multiple upsets to to become bowl eligible and and that's a difficult you know that's a difficult path so uh, it's difficult for me to to expect a bowl game I, I certainly think it's possible but four wins five wins seems a lot more likely
1: xavier i mean you know nick just kind of said it texas tech a tough team to figure out uh you know it, it's a you know it's a weird year when texas tech is carried by their defense so yeah uh, that's kind of what uh they were last year even though they weren't carried very far uh what are your <laughs> expectations for texas tech in 2021
2: well, yeah, I mean, I, I think this is a team that's going to be a four-win ball club. Uh, I'm not going to even go out on a limb and think they're going to make a ball game. I'm, I don't think so whatsoever. Unless Tyler Shook, you know, plays well above what he was able to do last year. Now, granted... He's going to the Big 12. This is not a conference necessarily known for their defense throughout the conference. So he might his numbers may look increased uh, uh, as opposed to last year. And he can't be any worse than the quarterback play that they had last year. They had two quarterbacks go last year. Both of them have really pedestrian numbers. And I think Tyler Shuck would be better than both of them in that system. But when you look at their scheduling, I just don't see where they'll find the wins. You know, Nick says they should be FIU. Is that a guaranteed win? I, I
0: don't know. FIU was bad last year. I, th- <laughs> I think that's. I, I it should I be a guarantee, tech- guarantee yeah, okay, is a tough fair. word, but they they should be a double. They should be a double digit favorite, probably twenty. And it's in
2: Lubbock. Okay, fine. You know, I, I'll go ahead and give you that. So they'll go two and one in their non-conference schedule. Then they get Texas. I'm not. They're not winning that ball game. I, I, as much as Scott says they should have won the game last year, that was last year. I don't think that they're going to win the game this year. Uh, you know, and, and, and as Nick alluded to, they're probably the second or third worst team in the Big 12 going into next year. And, and I just don't see where they put it all together to get to six wins. Uh, I, I think that they they do have a lot of coin flips here, and I, I think they'll benefit from ha- not having any gauntlet type months where they play like an Oklahoma, Texas and Oklahoma State back to back to back. As I say that, I'm literally looking at the fact that they play Oklahoma, Iowa State, and Oklahoma State to finish off the year. No. But I digress. This is going They're going to have to do it. If they're going to do it, they're going to do it between the months of September, in that October window where it's West Virginia, TCU, Kansas, Kansas State. If they don't win those four games, or at least three out of those four, there's no way they're making it to a bowl game next year. Uh, and I just don't see that they're going to be that consistent and that able and able to do that next year. Uh, maybe their defense is able to carry them, and Tyler Shuck just turns into you know the next coming of Jesus, and he's able to bring and he's able to bring it back for them next year. Yeah, you know, I just there's too many ifs with this team for me to say that they're a bowl team. I'm more comfortable saying four wins um, on the recruiting trail, Nick. Uh, Scott said it right there, 70th ranked nationally, 10th ranked in the Big 12. They didn't really hit the transfer portal uh, all that greatly for their offense, but defensively they hit it hard. They bring in, you know, two linebackers, three people in the secondary from UCLA, Duke, and NC State respectively. Uh, So maybe, you know, the defense, once again, is going to be something that is going to be a positive for them next year. But I've never heard Texas Tech and defense mean winning games. So I'm going to go ahead and say Texas Tech is a four-to-five-win ball club next year, and that's where I'll be comfortable sitting.
1: Uh, the next team up here is Houston, and Houston last year didn't even play a game until October 8th because of cancellations. Uh, they just weren't, uh, you know, uh, three. they were three and five, so they were okay last year. But then they had other weird scheduling stuff where they didn't play between November 14th and December uh, 12th. They lost to Hawaii in New Mexico Bowl. Uh, As far as recruiting goes, they were 82nd in the nation, 7th in the AAC, Uh, 5 transfers in with 8 transfers out. They return one all-AAC player and cornerback Demarion Williams, but wide receiver Marquez Stevenson and edge rusher uh, Peyton Turner are off to the NFL. Um, Doug Belk is the uh, solo defensive coordinator. He was co-defensive coordinator last year. David Rowe moves to... Uh, cornerbacks coach coming out of central Michigan and Archie uh, McDaniel is their new LB coach. Uh, he was co-defensive coordinator at Texas state last year. So uh, some moving pieces for Houston here and hopefully we get to see them play before October in 2021. Nick, what do you think about the Cougars uh, this season?
0: Yeah. I mean, last year they had a, a brutal start. As you mentioned, they had, I think three different, uh, opponents that that they expected to open the season with get canceled and pretty much last minute each time. So uh, it's just really, really hard on, on players, on the coaching staff, I'm sure to prepare for an opponent all week. And then at the last minute uh, through, in most cases, it seemed, you know, no fault of their own to, uh, have, to have to cancel that game. So uh, really, really difficult to start and, you know, they they were able to win the opener and and played BYU really really tough. I had that game just sort of on in the background as I was uh, getting some work done today. Houston led BYU at halftime, led them twenty six to fourteen in the third quarter before things kind of fell apart and, and BYU ended up taking control and and winning fairly easily. But you know it it was an absolute grind of a season for Houston. Because they just had so many stops and starts. You mentioned, you know, they didn't play a game between November fourteenth and December twelfth. Those are the exact same dates that Wake Forest uh, had off. Both teams missed basically a month of the season because of flare-ups, because of uh, you know cancellations with opponents. Just, just really, really difficult to find uh, any sense of momentum, any sense of consistency when that's what you know, you're know. you dealing with each week. And so Houston is one of those teams that I think, unfortunately we can't draw too many concrete conclusions about their 2020 performance. I mean, there were some things to, you know, some good signs. I mean, Houston ranked fourth in the country, number four in our defensive line performance ratings from last season. So that that's a, a real, real bright spot, but, you know the the team as a whole was just kind of middle of the road i mean they were 63rd in overall team performance 56th on offense 54th on uh, 51st on defense 52nd on in special teams 51st in offensive line performance so you know just absolutely middle of the pack in in uh you know the fbs rankings and, and all of those performance numbers, and, and it, you know, uh, translated very similarly statistically, 53rd in net yards per play. Everything else was was a bit of a, uh, you know, farther, uh, st- well, they were, excuse me, they were 48th in uh, net success rate, uh, 83rd in, in net yards per play. I was looking at uh, Texas Tech there, but uh, they, they, you know, just uh, weren't great at any particular thing, but they weren't terrible uh, well, excuse me. They weren't great at anything other than defensive line play, and then they weren't terrible really at, at anything either. But you know, Clayton Toon, who played absolutely out of his mind in, in the first uh, three quarters against BYU, ends up throwing double digit interceptions. You know, last year he, he was a capable runner as well. Uh, but they just, you know, they had some injuries at the running back position. Uh, they had some inconsistency at wide receiver, uh, just really weren't able to get going on offense. And and then, you know, defensively, this was a, a team that was absolutely built through the transfer portal, especially in the secondary. And so, you know, they had a lot of talented guys, but uh, most of them were in their first year. On campus, and and then we know all the hurdles that teams had to deal with as far as you know practicing week to week, meetings, uh, all of that sort of football adjacent stuff. But you know, is is they just weren't really able to again find consistency uh, because of so many new faces, I think, and because of so many interruptions to the season. So it's maybe of of any team that we talked about today, Houston. I I just am absolutely. Uh, at a loss as, as to what to draw from last year's performance because it's just it's very very difficult to to sort of maintain and, and credit to them for you know winning enough to to get to a bowl game and and uh, being able to to get you know some extra time at the end of the year that hopefully they'll be able to build on but it also wasn't a great end of the season as well where they were uh really just not not uh, competitive in a game that they were a pretty heavy favorite against Hawaii. So a, a disappointing loss and just so much. Uh, I don't even know what the right word is, uh, but, but just so much that they had to go through last year to even get to, uh, you know, to get to Saturday. Uh, it, it's difficult for me to really put a lot of weight on what the performance on the field ended up being because of that. So Houston's a team that's capable of competing for the American title. I mean, that that's just, they have the talent to do that. Uh, but so far, we haven't seen it play out on the field. Will a year where, you know, all these transfers uh, get to mesh a little bit, where all this talent, you know, got a, a year of experience, can they put it together and become a top 50 team, a top 35 team? I certainly think that that is possible, but I expect that they'll start our, our uh, 2021 in, in our power rankings in a similar spot here. And, and, you know, maybe the late fifties, maybe early sixties, something like that middle of the road in, in the American. But I, I think that they certainly are capable of taking a big, big step forward I just haven't seen a ton of evidence yet because of all the inconsistencies and a lot of it, you know, not their fault, but, um, I think Houston is a team with the potential to, to really rise, but I don't necessarily trust that they'll be able to, uh, make that big of a rise in 2021, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. I mean, capable, but inconsistent Xavier is basically what, what Nick is saying here. Are you, uh, on, on that same wavelength, do you have any expectations for Houston to improve this year? Do you think we're going to see more, uh, capably inconsistent, inconsistence from, uh, this Houston squad?
2: Yeah, this is one of those teams that I really wish could have played all their games last year. You know, I, you know, you look at their schedule and I think that the games that they were not able to play were the toss-ups, you know, the Baylor the the SMU, the Tulsa, those were the games where I think we would have learned the most about Houston that would have been able to help us going into this year because you look at their losses and the teams that they lost to were just better than them. Like there's no like maybe it was a toss up. No, BYU was better than them last year. UCF more talented than them. Cincinnati better than them last year. And Memphis might be the only toss-up game that you could pull from that and possibly the the bowl game, but bowl games are really weird to kind of pull from in my opinion. Uh but you know, because it's not a matchup that they'll ever maybe ever see again. So, you know, you but you look at the games that w- were canceled and the games that they even won. They're better, they were better than Tulane. They were better than Navy last year and they were better than U- uh, USF. So, when you look at those games that they weren't able to play, I really wish they were able to play them because I feel like I would have a more concrete idea of where this Houston team was going. Uh, when you look at the 2021 scheduling, you know, we talked about how they play Texas Tech, and I think that that will be a toss-up game for them. Uh, at Rice is a win. Grambling State is a win. I think they beat Navy again. So I think they go 3-1 and one into conference play uh, when they, you know, they see at Tolson at Tulane to start off. And I, I think this is a team that can get to, to six wins next year. The question for me is, can they get to 7, 8, and possibly 9? Uh, you know, they, they play East Carolina next year. I think that's a win for them. They play at Temple. We've talked about how poor Temple was last season. Do they continue that? And they play at UConn. Those are all three winnable games as well. So, I mean, we're looking at a team that, depending on, you know, what we see from Tulsa, Memphis, and SMU, this is a team that can run the table. They have a very, very favorable schedule for them going into next year. I just don't know because of last year with the inconsistency if they'll be able to do it. Um, I believe in Dana Hogerson as a head coach, so that's not necessarily the problem. I think Nick hit it right on the head. Will Anyone who be will
1: bench their own son, I, I think, can be I counted respect. on as a head yeah. coach, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Didn't his son <laughs> transfer? I, I, yeah. <laughs> transfer, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> Hey, we play who, you know, no favorites over here. I like that. So, you know, I, I just don't know if Houston can excel to that, you know, nine, 10 win co- uh, competing for the AAC next year, but their schedule allows them to do so. It's all whether or not they'll take that, They'll take it and run with it on the recruiting trail. They finished 82nd nationally, which was down from 72nd um, and seventh in the AAC, which was down from uh, the previous year, which they finished fifth. We talked about even more transfers that they've brought in. Um, But this, this, this Houston team, they can run the table. I'm just not confident in saying that they will.
1: Yeah. I I, I think that's uh, uh, more than fair for that team. Uh, We go back to the sec for Missouri now. And, they had a big win over LSU uh, uh, and uh, a close one against Arkansas, but they lost the last two games. They got stomped by uh, Georgia and Mississippi State. They had uh, they were in a bowl game, but it was canceled, the Music City Bowl. And once again, just like uh, you know Mississippi State having the twenty seventh nationally ranked and but but tenth in the SEC, well Missouri was one spot behind, twenty eighth ranked nationally. But 11th in the SEC. Uh, three transfers in, 12 transfers out. They had uh, their quarterback, Connor Baselak, was an SEC Offensive uh, Freshman of the Year. Uh, they do return a defensive end, who was all SEC in Trace and Jeff Jeffcoat, But a uh, lot of moving pieces here. Nick Bolton, uh, safety, Joshua Bledsoe, wide receiver, Damon Hazleton, and running back Larry Roundtree, all off to the NFL. Uh, Steve Wilkes is their new defensive coordinator. It's a good hire. And then Aaron Fletcher is their new DB coach. Uh, uh, they got him out of Tulsa last year. So, uh, Nick, what are your thoughts for Missouri uh, going into 2021?
0: I, I'm going to sound like a, a bit of a broken record. It's it's <laughs> interesting that all these teams lined up in this chunk.
1: <laughs> but That's I feel kind like of what I, this it, group is, though. It is. The teams it is. That are it is. Inconsistent. I, I think you said it the best. <laughs> Capable but inconsistent
0: well, and they're teams that are on the lower end in their conference as far as talent numbers go. but you know by and large, similar to Purdue, similar to to Wake Forest, uh, maybe to a lesser extent Texas Tech they're're they're teams that I you know think are pretty well coached and they're teams that have or or at least you know have recently had some high end, Players. I mean, Larry Roundtree uh, was a hundred-rated running back in our our uh, player ratings. He's had twenty-three production points over his career at, at Missouri. Unfortunately, he uh, unfortunately for Missouri and 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 good for him. He'll be off uh, in the NFL next year. You know, so that's that's a, a piece that you've got to replace. Tyler Beatty. I, I love his skill set, sort of as a uh, you know multi-talented receiver out of the backfield type guy, is he going to be able to to really carry a load there? Is Is Elijah Young going to get more of a look after a, a true freshman season last year? You know, Damon Hazleton didn't have the most productive year but he's a guy who's really flashed was a big body you know are they going to rely more on Kiki Chisholm who did some good things as a a transfer from a lower division last year Toski Dove had uh you know some some moments uh the the player at the receiving core I know Jay Macklin has has gotten a little bit of buzz this spring the cousin of, of Jeremy Macklin uh true freshman you know didn't play a ton last year but I'm excited to see what Mookie Cooper, a transfer from Ohio State, was a really highly rated player coming out of high school who, you know, Ohio State's arguably the, the best receiving core in college football. It's just going to be a, a difficult path to playing time for, for Mookie Cooper there, but he's a small guy, but it is absolutely uh, a dangerous playmaker has that potential. So I'm, I'm going to be interested to see what a player like that will do in an uh, Eli Drinkwitz offense. I think I have a lot of respect for Eli Drinkwitz as an offensive play caller. Uh, his players really seem to love playing for him last year. And in the uh, bits that that I was able to see, you know, he's, he's a, a top 20 play caller, ranks 18th in our offensive coordinator ratings. He is the offensive coordinator. He is the play caller. That's just three spots behind you know, Mike Leach, who has decade, you know, over a decade of, of really strong offenses with one uh, pretty poor year last year. But Eli Drinkwitz is, has been consistent, uh, putting up really good offenses when he was at uh, Boise State, when he was at um, where was he? NC State had had their best offensive years at NC State, uh, you know, over the, the the last stretch there at Appalachian State and, and then you know Missouri last year wasn't the the very best by any stretch but I think showed flashes won a couple of real shootouts that LSU game was pretty incredible 45 41 that was you know still we were thinking lSU was a certainly a top 25 team and, and maybe even a top 20, uh, top 10 type team uh, but Missouri was able to to win that shootout the game against Arkansas 50 to 48. Pretty incredible, but you know they they just weren't kind of ran out of gas a little bit at the end. Gave up 49 to Georgia, gave up 51 to Mississippi State, and and just couldn't couldn't keep up with that pace offensively. And and uh, just you know the the bowl game as you mentioned got canceled unfortunately, and and kind of a you know a season with promise ended with a bit of a thud. But they were starting to figure things out. Connor Bazelak really solidified. The quarterback position, I think. Looking ahead at, at sort of the quarterback situations in the SEC East, he might be the you know at least the third best quarterback in the SEC East entering next season. Uh, maybe maybe even make a push for number two. I mean, we think Emory Jones is is got a lot of potential, and that Florida offense is is going to be good. But you know, Basilek now has pretty much a, a year of starting experience, and you know he he's. Going to be one of the better signal callers in the SEC East. So, how are they going to fill the the skill positions around him? How are they going to utilize Beatty? Can they get Beatty and Young on the field at the same time? You know, how are they going to deploy guys like Chisholm, guys like Jalen Knox, and and uh, you know former quarterback Michael Wilson is, is uh, still there as a, a receiver. You know, Mookie Cooper, Jay Macklin. Going to be interesting to see how that pecking order. Uh, comes together in in the receiving core. They've got four of of five starters returning on the offensive line, but Larry Borum was, you know, perhaps underratedly so, but one of the best offensive linemen in the country last year. I mean, all three of his offensive line grades, uh, according to PFF, were in the 80s. So uh, he's going to be difficult to replace on the right side, but, you know, a lot of experience up front. Hopefully that'll help you know, buy a little time for Basilak to sort of figure out what his uh you know what weapons he's working with. And and then even though you mentioned particularly in the back seven, losing Nick Bolton, losing two starters at safety, the the front four is is returning. That's absolutely a, a solid place to start. That includes a couple of, of super senior starters on the defensive line. And though Nick Bolton is you know uh, probably a probably what a second round pick or or something like that maybe third uh but a, an incredibly incredibly productive player a guy who had 37 production points throughout his career at at Missouri that's among the national leaders i mean it's it's uh very very uh, rare for a player to get over 30 career production points the way we Uh, calculate those so you know to lose him is huge but blaze aldridge who is an all-conference usa performer as a linebacker at rice is a 100 rated player you know according to our numbers so uh he's got 20 uh 24 production points coming into this season so you know you slot him in and and at least as far as our spreadsheets go you know on paper uh that's a one-for-one match with replacing one 100 rated player with with another so you think that defensively, you know, hopefully they will be able to at least not take a big step back and, and might even be able to, to take a step forward if some guys step up in the secondary. Towards the end of the year, they started two true freshmen at corner. One of those guys, Jalen uh, Carlos, is moving to safety this year to, to help offset the loss of, of Bledsoe and Gillespie. So, you know, if they figure that position out, I think the offense is going to take a step forward now that they've got a quarterback and now that they're, you know, have some weapons available for him. We just don't quite know exactly how it will play out. Uh, Who's going to get the, get the football, but I believe that Drinkowitz will will get those guys coached up and they will be a dangerous offensive team next year, but the defense is a little bit of a concern. Even even with three starters off to the NFL draft, I mean, the unit ranked 95th in yards per play allowed, 112th in EPA per play defensively, 102nd in points per drive, uh 95th yards per pass attempt, 102nd in success rate against. I mean, those have got to get better. And and part of that was they were playing an SEC opponent week in and week out. You know, that they'll get a little bit of a uh you know some relief by playing Central Michigan, Southeast Missouri, North Texas, uh, an explosive offense last year, but probably take a little bit of a step back. So more winnable games on the schedule. I think Missouri is a team that, that certainly should have bowl aspirations. They might even, they might even start six and zero. I mean, you know, they they've got Central Michigan at Kentucky, Uh, Southeast Missouri at Boston College. That'll be tough, but uh, host Tennessee, who's completely rebuilding. They should be favored against North Texas. And then, you know, after Texas A&M, they play Vanderbilt. So maybe they're 7-1 and and ready to make a push in the SEC East with with Georgia and Florida in the back half of the schedule. Very favorable. I I think Missouri, you know, now that I, I really think game by game here, uh has a great shot at at seven wins, eight wins, and and uh could perhaps build enough momentum early in the season with a strong start to have confidence to say, hey, yeah, we can go into Georgia and win. Florida's coming to us. We can win that game. Maybe this is a Missouri team that that if that defense really does take a step forward with a former NFL head coach as, as the new play caller, with a a top 15 offensive play caller with a you know returning quarterback maybe this is a top 25 type team i mean they won't start there in our preseason rankings i can almost guarantee it'll be probably tough for them to start the season in the top 50 but you know with with those wins and and you would expect with some good team performance ratings and some production points picked up for players along the way on their way to, you know, six and one, seven and one, uh, if they're able to reach that level. This absolutely is a team that we could be talking about at the end of the year, finishing in our top 20, you know, finishing uh, third in in the SEC East and maybe top half of the SEC. And certainly with a, 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 you know, a shot at being in the, you know, being in the top 25 at the
1: end of the year uh xavier your thoughts on on missouri like uh, nick said favorable schedule but the sec is always tough
2: yeah this kind of reminds me of, of drew locks last year you know that, that year that their schedule was very, very very favorable as well and they pretty much won all of the games that they were supposed to barring a a, a head scratching loss that year to to south carolina but Throughout that year, they were ranked as high as twenty third nationally. Uh, they finished eight and four, uh, and like I said, barring the loss to South Carolina, the only other teams that they lost to that year were Georgia, Alabama, and Florida. And, and so I think that once again, that is the kind of you know ilk that they have right now with this schedule going into this year. I agree with Nick; this schedule is very favorable. They could end up six and one, seven and one going, seven and oh, excuse me, going to Georgia. Um, and really, I mean, outside of Georgia, and, and really. Florida And I'll give them that. I don't see another game on the schedule where I'm like, that team is just far and away better than them. Um, you know, a and is losing a bunch of talent and we don't know what they'll look like without Kellen Mond. I could say the same thing for Florida, but we've seen glimpses of uh, Emory Jones at Florida. And at the very least, Mullen's going to have him ready to go. If not him, somebody else. Uh, that offense would not have a bad year. They may be average, but they won't have a bad year uh but you know uh, so I, I think this is a very a year that you know barring the georgia game i think they can go in every game thinking you know we could win every game outside of the florida outside of the georgia game which is also in Athens also want to hit on the head nick you know you said what helps out a defense playing at home you know typically defenses play better at home you know and with a crowd coming back in the next year you're expecting more uh, activity uh you know a little bit more juice as they put it. And, they, and they're big games barring Georgia or at home, you know, that you get Florida at home, you get AM at home, you get Tennessee at home. Uh, those, those are big games that your, you know, your fans being a, uh, a year away from, you know, not being able to watch you at all will be excited to watch and we'll come in and we'll fill out and hopefully pack out the stadium for that as well. So I think that they'll be better defensively, maybe, you know, maybe due to the fans, maybe just due to a year two under uh, Eli Drinkowitz. uh I like Bazilek i i he he for me this year will be more of a of a barometer for him than last year was Uh, his numbers last year were still rather you know he won sec freshman of the year but they were still okay 20 2300 yards seven touchdowns six interceptions is not going to ever you know make you go wow uh even for a freshman uh but still you know he wasn't bad last year so and he didn't make them, he didn't put them in positions to lose many games last year. So that's a positive that I think he can grow upon as well offensively. Uh, this Missouri team, like we've talked about with a lot of these teams, is just inconsistent. Uh, but next year has got to be the, that year for them that they really, you know, take advantage of what is a pretty cupcakey type start. Uh, we talked about, you know, only maybe Boston College and Tennessee. Are they really their you know, hurdle games and really Tennessee purely just based off of their talent going into this year. Uh, I'll hit on the recruiting trail just ever so quickly. Uh, you know they finished 28th nationally, which you know we, we we said that yeah that's not necessarily a big deal. That's a huge deal for Missouri. This is a team that finished 51st the year before. You know that's a massive jump in jump in recruiting, going from 51 to 28 nationally. Yes, it's only 11th in the SEC, but they finished almost dead last, finishing just ahead of Vandy uh, last year, finishing 13th. So they're definitely moving in the right direction. They're starting to pick up some of those bigger recruits. Um, it's a little bit harder to recruit in Missouri, uh, but they hit on kids who. Were uh, Missouri or Illinois based? They got the number third ranked kid in Missouri, the uh, third in the state. Excuse me, the number fourth ranked uh, player in the state in Illinois. So they're starting to hit on kids even around them. So I think that's a, a big deal for them as well to win the states that they're in and around, especially being the lone SEC school um, in that in in that region. So. Missouri is trending in the right direction. They've got one heck of a year to put it all together. That they, that can help them, you know, really bolster themselves on the recruiting trail. They currently rank nineteenth in the recruiting trail in twenty twenty two. And if they have a good year, they can definitely that will definitely help them out going into twenty twenty two. I think they can do it. I'm gonna say eight wins comfortably. Um, I'm not ready to say that they're better than a team like A and M, uh, but I think that they, they they can compete with everybody on their schedule, barring Georgia and Florida.
1: Uh, the next squad up here is Virginia and I mean, you talk about consistently inconsistent. That's kind of <laughs> what I feel, uh, you know, best describes Virginia and last season was no different. They overcame, uh, you know, four game losing streak in October to finish five and five. Uh, they lost to Virginia tech to snap that four game winning streak. Uh, but Uh, 44, they they did get a 44 to 41 win over North Carolina, but they opted out of bull consideration this year, Nick. Uh, they were, uh, 33rd ranked recruiting class overall six in the ACC, three transfers in, uh, eight transfers out. They got a couple guys going to the NFL and linebacker, Charles Snowden, tight end Tony Poljan. But, uh, Virginia is one of those teams that I feel like once again, in this group, hard to figure out on a year to year basis.
0: They are, and and Virginia in uh, you know twenty nineteen. Our our longtime listeners might remember that Virginia was a team that our numbers absolutely did not respect. We we did not buy in that Virginia was going to be a you know ACC title contender, division champ potentially, and and that was a big big miss because they uh, certainly were able to you know rise up to that that. Potential and and so it hasn't been very long ago that they were a team that you know uh, weren't ready to to compete with Clemson obviously but uh, were were certainly able to uh, get it done on on their side of the division and and make it to the ACC championship game going back to division play this year you know I, I don't think the expectation will be that again I, I don't think that they'll be able to to quite make a run like that but there are you know. Uh, similar to a lot of the teams we've talked about today. There are bits and pieces that you can get excited about. And and Virginia, uh, understandably, reminds me a lot of Wake Forest. And, and both teams do some really kind of weird, very unique, interesting things offensively. Wake Forest, we, we didn't even talk about it, but I, I was watching a replay of the game against uh, North Carolina earlier this week. And uh, Mac Brown, uh, UNC head coach Mac Brown was quoted as saying that Wake Forest had the weirdest offense I've ever seen. Well, Virginia's kind of like that too. I mean they you know Keeton Thompson, uh, former Mississippi State uh, quarterback transfers to Virginia doesn't win the the starting quarterback job, but they get him on the field. I mean, he's playing receiver, he's playing running back, uh, doing some short yardage quarterback stuff wearing number 99 while he's doing it and ends up having a, a really productive year. He'll be back uh, for, uh, you know, his traditional senior season, I think fifth year senior, but still two years of eligibility at, at Virginia. And then, you know, he didn't win that job because Brendan Armstrong is pretty good. I mean, he, he is one of the, uh, you know, top four, maybe quarterbacks in the ACC. Uh, he's a guy that you know through for over 2000 yards 18 touchdowns led the team with 552 rushing yards uh had threw too too many interceptions didn't always take care of the football but is a guy that has some playmaking ability at, at the quarterback position and then virginia just has you know not not elite talent by any stretch similar to a Wake Forest, uh, Missouri, uh, uh, Purdue, where you know they're sort of middle of the road nationally in a lot of uh, talent numbers, but you know they they actually have been able to develop some depth. They had, uh, you know, I I mentioned that Armstrong led the team in in rushing, but three other players had over two hundred yards, so they they were able to get the ball to Wayne Tulapapa. They were, uh, you know, Shane Simpson was a transfer from Towson. He's left. For the NFL draft, but you know, Keaton Thompson ran for 200 yards, and, and Ronnie Walker, the transfer from Indiana, got a late uh waiver to play last year, but he should be full speed all season in, in 2021. And, and so, they've got some depth there at the running back position still, despite you know, despite losing uh, uh Simpson, and, and then they were able to bring in another FCS transfer, Devin Darrington. From Harvard, who who has uh, you know done some good things there as well, so a lot of different guys are going to get the ball out of the backfield, and a bunch of guys are are going to be uh, you know getting the ball as as receivers as well. Billy Kemp uh, has been a reception machine, uh, just you know is is targeted. A ton, ninety-seven targets last year, sixty-seven receptions. Only scored once, and and did lead the team in receiving yards, but only six hundred, uh, you know, only six hundred and forty-four yards. But four players had four hundred yards. Um, they they lose Terrell Jana, they lose Tony Poljan, but uh, Kemp is back. Lavelle Davis, who was 6'7", showed a lot of promise as a true freshman last year put up six production points and, and even missed a couple of games. So he's somebody who absolutely I think could take an, another step forward. Uh Rayshon Henry was a, a transfer who didn't you know have a ton of receptions, a ton of yards, but seemed like every pass that he caught uh, was a touchdown just about. So he's gonna be, I think, in, in line for a little bit more uh you know, get more involved and, and then Jelani Woods, who transferred from Oklahoma State, seems to really be able, you know, on paper, should slide into that spot that Tony Poljan uh held down at tight end for one year last year. I, I think that Woods is incredibly athletic for six, seven and two hundred and seventy-five pounds. I mean he's that that's a tackle, right? That's a that's a starting left tackle for some G five teams, and he's playing tight end. and And I think wasn't quite utilized well enough at, at Oklahoma State. He's somebody that I think has a, a lot of untapped potential. That Virginia is creative enough on offense; they're going to find a way to utilize him. I believe Woods was a, a high school quarterback as well. So you know, just they they get these guys that you know, our, our unique players maybe don't fit in a, a perfect position box, or maybe they do one thing really well, like Wayne Tulapapa is a good short yardage runner. He's not going to break off a, a big gain, but he just scores touchdowns. He just moves the sticks. and And so they're able to kind of fine roles for guys like Billy Kemp, you know, like like Tula Papa, like uh, Rashawn Henry being sort of the the, the playmaker uh, with the, the opportunity to, to catch touchdowns, like Lavelle Davis, the big target, that you just throw it up and he can come down with it. So I'm intrigued enough with Virginia that I think that, you know, finally, stubbornly, even though our, our numbers might not quite catch up to it yet, I'm going to – sort of instead of erring on the side of caution, I think with a team like Virginia, I'm going to err on the side of overachieving. I think that they are likely to put up higher team performance numbers than what their roster strength numbers might indicate. So even though they're probably going to start the year in the mid-50s in our power rankings, I think that they're a team that, uh, you know, will make things difficult on a weekly basis for ACC opponents. I don't necessarily expect them to – uh, you know, make it back to the ACC championship game after, you know, one year away. But there are a lot of winnable games on the schedule and it wouldn't shock me if they pull off an upset, you know, at Miami, for example. Miami's probably uh, the favorite, I-, I think at least as far as our numbers go in, in that side of the vision. Wouldn't shock me if they upset, you know, a, a North Carolina team that's breaking in some skill position players, a-, a lot of new faces offensively, early in the year to kick off ACC play that, that, you know, we would expect North Carolina and Miami to be favored in those games, especially with Virginia having to go on the road. But a team like Virginia, you know, pulls off an an unexpected upset win. It seems like uh, at least once a year. So, you know, those type games are winnable and then the back half of the schedule, you know, aside from maybe the, the game against Notre Dame, but even that, you know, Notre Dame is, is going to be, uh having a, a lot of new faces on both sides of the football, I would say that there's not there's not a game on the schedule that is an automatic loss. There aren't very many automatic wins, but I, I think that there is, you know, any game Virginia could have a path to victory. So I, I think that there'll be a bowl team. I, I think six wins is uh pretty much you know the floor if if they don't make it back to a bowl in, in 2021, it'll be very, very disappointing. But, you know, th- there's probably not a path to maybe nine or ten wins, but, you know, maybe everything clicks like it did a couple of years ago, especially now that they've got, you know, they were able to replace the the quarterback position with Brandon Armstrong, and, and you know, they keep switching things up, changing things up, making defenses, uh, you know, react to what they do offensively they're, they're a tough team to, to prepare for and a tough team to beat. So the, the one major, major issue, and I spent a lot of time talking about the the offense and, and I'm just sort of enamored with it a little bit, but defensively they were bad in a lot of spots last year. And that's something we're not used to seeing at Virginia. They finished 124th in the country in yards per pass attempt defensively. Uh, they finished, 69th in points per drive allowed. They finished 94th in EPA per play defensively and 101st in yards per play allowed. So I expect, even though they're losing a couple of linebackers to the NFL draft, that the defense will be a little bit better next year. It's got to be. Uh, and, and I think that sort of the the schedule, as I mentioned, a little, maybe a little easier, but at least not daunting I think we'll see better defensive numbers next year, and and I think Virginia is a team that's got potential. I think uh, bowl eligibility, you know, should they should be able to get there, and then I think they'll be a dangerous team that uh, could put up a you know top twenty five type season if if everything lines up correctly. So I think I'm finally really starting to to get optimistic about Virginia after missing so badly on them a, a couple of years ago.
1: What do you think, Xavier? Are the stars aligned for Virginia? It seems like uh Nick kind of talked himself into it uh there. But uh are are you are you with that? Do you think that Virginia can uh be a team that puts it together this year?
2: I don't see why not. Um, you know, I think quarterback is the biggest question mark for me, for them going into this year. But outside of that position, I don't see why they can't. You know, their schedule is very favorable for them. We just talked about their two like genuinely tough games are at North Carolina and at Miami. Uh, but Miami is known to play, you know, quote unquote down. And we don't know what that team's going to look like with all the talent that they've lost on defense over the last two years or, or whether or not they figured out their offensive line was either. So I'm not so sure, you know, if that team is, you know, if the King can carry that team, or if he's even going to be, you know, a hundred percent, you know, I think he'll, he, he might as well be a hundred percent by that point, but if he's, back to the De'Aaron King that we saw from this past year. So I'm not guaranteed there. And we've always – we've talked about heavily how much North Carolina is losing offensively and, you know, can that defense, you know, hold steady where the offense kind of figures it out. And they get them early enough to figure that out. You know, they get them in week three. They might be able to catch a North Carolina team uh, sleeping uh, for that matter. So I don't see why they can't. My biggest game for them is that two week period at BYU off, and then Notre Dame. I think those two games could be the things that derail their season. If at, if at that point, you know, they only have one loss, or they or they are undefeated, uh, but I don't see why they can't. I really don't. I, I'm drinking the Virginia Kool-Aid too. Uh, I, I think this is a team that can, you know, get back to a New Year's Six Bowl uh, if they're able to run the table. Um, I think that's a comfortable thing that I can say for them. Now, I, I don't think that they'll compete for an ACC title because I think they're not—they're nowhere near the, the talent level of a Clemson uh, as of the, as of right now. But I think this is a team that can get to a New Year's Six Bowl like they did a couple of years ago. And I'm not the only one drinking the Kool-Aid. They on the recruiting trail—they have just worked. Uh, They finished, you know, they're they're 33 nationally. That's 16 spots higher than they were the previous year, which was 49th. And they're sixth in the ACC, which uh, is three spots up from being ninth the year before. And and the team that they're finishing behind now are your perennial powers in the ACC now. They're finishing behind Clemson, Miami, North Carolina, and Florida State and Pitt. But we'll we'll, we'll let that one go. Uh, You know, so I I think that when you look at it that way, Virginia is definitely trending upward. I think they've figured out a formula, like Nick said. They're, they're recruiting kids who aren't household names. They're not trying to swing and, and miss or swing and hit with these big name guys, but they get productive people every single year. Um, You know, the one thing I will say about the defense, Knicks, is if they do lose. They're arguably their best defensive player uh, in uh, Zandir uh, this year, who's going to the draft re- Placing his production is going to be a lot for them to do next year, especially at the linebacker position, which was the youngest position or one of the younger positions for them. Uh, at least right behind him. At least so I am looking oh, for Snowden Virginia. as well. You're right. Yep. Yeah, Snowden yeah, were hundred-rated players. So so I'm really looking for Virginia offensively to take the next step to be able to you know make up for the defensive woes that they had last year but I think once again and, and kind of what we talked about earlier in the episode because of how much talent a lot of the t- these teams are losing in the ACC even with some of the lesser teams like a Louisville Who have a team, you know, who wasn't a great team by any means, but you couldn't go to sleep on them week in and week out because of the talent that they had. I don't think, I don't see that as much in this year's ACC. And I think that bodes well for a Virginia team uh, that I think, once again, can get to a New Year's six bowl if they handle
1: this right. All right. The last team up on the schedule for today is Pitt. And uh, Pitt started 3 and 0, lost back to back heartbreakers to NC State and Boston College uh, to begin a four game skid. They won three of the last four. They finished six and five. They opted out of bowl consideration. Uh, but they are, so we had uh, 26, 28, and now they are 27th ranked in the recruiting class in this bunch of teams that we had, which uh, ended up fifth in the ACC, three transfers out, two transfers in, or, or reverse that, uh, three transfers out, two. Uh, And and then uh, they do return an all ACC player in their kicker, Alex Kessman. But they lose (laughs) a lot to the NFL. Uh, Safety, Paris Ford, edge defender Patrick Jones. We mentioned Jalen Twyman the other day. Uh, Two offensive linemen in Bryce Hargrove and Jimmy Morrissey. Another edge rusher in Rashad Weaver and another safety in Tamar Hamlin. So a lot going out for Pitt, Nick. What do you think about the Panthers in 2021?
0: I, I think we have to expect they take a step back, and it's just purely looking at the amount of production leaving, uh, most noticeably on on defense. I mean, three starters in the secondary, three starters, or, or you know, three draft type players. Uh, One of them opted out last year, but, but three uh, big time defensive linemen gone. So five guys that you really relied on last season to be one of the best defenses in the country. I mean, they ranked number one in our uh, defensive line performance numbers. They led the team or excuse me, led the country in sacks. Uh, They had 111 tackles for loss, which led the nation they had a you know the highest percentage of tackles for loss, fourteen and a half percent of of all defensive snaps that Penn ha- uh played last season ended in a, a tackle for loss for their defense. So just an absolutely relentless unit that got better and better as the game went on. I mean, Pat Narduzzi, I, I got to be honest, I I don't think I like Pat Narduzzi, (laughs) like just something about him kind of rubs me the wrong way, but he and his defensive coaching staff know what they're doing because, you know, they're not, even though they have a a pretty decent recruiting class right now, they are not a consistent top 25 recruiting, you know, program at, at this point, but they are either able to identify really, really talented defensive players, or they're able to develop those guys into great Defensive players. And, and they're able to coach on Saturdays. Pitt uh, averaged, uh, allowed an average of three points per game in the fourth quarter last year, which was the best of any defense in the country. So not only were they just, you know, creating the most havoc, tackles for loss, sacks, just getting after opponents. Uh, they were able to, you know, make adjustments after halftime, get, get themselves in position to play their best defense in the fourth quarter. So uh, a very very impressive year. They're also, as you mentioned, losing some players on offense. Two uh, offensive line starters is, is I think important. Losing DJ Turner, who was uh, very very productive in his only year after transferring from Maryland. I know Xavier likes Kenny Pickett. I I think I like him a little less each year. <laughs> oddly, uh, they just you know the the Pitt offense. It's got potential it could be so much better. I feel like Mark Whipple is the offensive coordinator it just you know they, they were throwing a ton but not really creative. they've got so many running backs but nobody has really been able to step up and become you know a, a primary guy or, or really carry a, a load week to week. So you know there's a lot different pieces to like. Jordan Addison had a huge huge true freshman season as a receiver, ended up leading the team uh, with 87 targets, 60 catches, 662 yards. And, and, you know, D.J. Turner was close in a lot of categories, but Addison definitely was the go-to guy. I'm hopeful that their new uh, receivers coach, who I, I think has the co-offensive coordinator title, uh, Brennan Marion, who, who came over from Hawaii, and uh, we've talked about him before, is a real rising star in the coaching community. You know, hopefully he'll be able to to – Uh, breathe some new life, some creativity into that offense, because, you know, I think they're going to need it. I I think the defense, despite some big time guys coming back, I mean, Cam Bright had 14 production points last year. Uh, Servosier Dennis had 15. I mean, those, you know, two linebackers coming back and then Phil Campbell as well. That's going to be a solid unit. The defense, you know, a lot of those top defensive players ended up opting out a little bit, you know, late in the year, um so they were able to get some experience for for guys like that in the secondary work some new players in the defensive line they just they still have studs I mean uh Kalijah uh Cansey had 13 production points last year as a redshirt freshman interior defensive lineman Dalem Alexandra is a, a returning starter Keyshawn Camp is a, a you know a, a, a super senior I believe he'll be back uh didn't didn't have a ton of production last year but Really looked good in at parts in, in uh, you know 2019. So they'll probably be able to, to cobble together a, a, a solid unit defensively, and you know the track record is is established that they're able to to get guys, find guys, or or develop them into to studs defensively. But that is so much production to lose, and and unless the offense gets a little bit more. Explosive, a little more consistent. I mean, they were 98th in yards per play, 88th yards per pass attempt, 92nd in success rate, 99th EPA per play offensively, 85th in points per drive, you know, they they are able to get yards, but they are not efficient or, or explosive really. So unless they're able to to take some step forwards offensively to offset what I think has to be a little bit of a step back defensively. It's it might be a little bit of a fight for Pitt to make it back to to bowl eligibility next year. I mean, they're they're not playing the the toughest non conference schedule, but you know Tennessee, even though that's you know we we expect Tennessee to take a pretty big step back, Then in most situations, you would you would expect Tennessee to be the more talented team when they line up against Pitt. They're at least going to be comfortable in that game <laughs> in Knoxville. Uh, you know, Western Michigan is is Year in and year out, among the most talented teams in the MAC, that's going to be a tough game. So, you know, they play Clemson, they play Miami, they play North Carolina. Uh, three out of four weeks, it, it's going to be tough. And Virginia Tech, they, you know, they play those four in a five-week period uh, right after a, an October bye week. So, the schedule doesn't necessarily sit up great. And and with the amount of production that they're losing on defense, I th- I think we have to expect. Pitt to take a step back. I think that they probably open the season in the mid sixties in our ratings, maybe double digits in the ACC in our power rankings. You know, something in the line of sixty fifth overall, tenth or eleventh in, in the ACC would not shock me at all. You know, if they overachieve and and finish put up a, maybe a top fifty type season, but I just I, I think that the window for the ACC contending pit. Uh, that that we saw with all that talent they had last year, probably closed, and, and they lost an opportunity with those just brutal losses. Their first two losses of last season were were real heartbreakers. Really, kind of stopped that momentum that they could have maybe challenged in in the ACC. It's going to be difficult for for that uh, for this team, I think, to improve upon last year's record, and probably will have to take a step back until. Some of those younger players, talented players that they've been able to sign, uh, you know, get up to speed a little bit. So I think I think Pitt takes a step back next year. It's going to be tough to get to a bowl game. I, I think they certainly could, but wouldn't be wouldn't surprise me really if Pitt ends up uh, with a losing season in, in uh, 2020. But then becomes a more dangerous team again, and or excuse me, in, in 2021 becomes a more dangerous team again in 2022.
1: Yeah, Xavier, it seems just like Nick said, inevitable that uh pitt has to take a step back with all the production that they're losing going off to the nfl this year
2: absolutely and i i couldn't agree more i think this is the year that we say see pitt miss a bowl game i think you know with all that talent that they're losing defensively you just can't replace that at a place like pittsburgh they don't come around that often first off as a freshman and, and half you know most of the time you have to grow these kids into those kind of positions and I just don't see where they're able, you know, where they are able to recuperate most, if not any, a lot of that re- re- uh, production for, um, from from that defense. It's going to be ridiculously hard for them to do that. Uh, I, I, yeah, it's, it's going to be a rough year for them. It, I, and I genuinely feel that way. Kenny Pig is my favorite quarterback. It's one of my favorite quarterbacks in college football for his toughness. I think the kid plays quarterback like he's playing linebacker. Uh, and that's one of my favorite things to watch. Um, you know, he's genuinely somebody who I think would pick up a, you know, roughing the passer penalty and give it back to the referee and be like, nah, that was a good hit and, and keep playing. Uh, so th- that's why he's one of my favorite, uh, players in college football. Uh, you know, Hey, maybe with all the, the, the talent that's leaving, maybe you see Kenny Pickett open it up this year. And he's got nothing to lose. And, and and just decides to show what he can as this is officially his last year. I
0: think Nick, you call, did call me early. old fashioned, but I okay. prefer quarterbacks that play like quarterbacks. Not okay. All right. All right, all right. <laughs> not nice. not
1: quarterbacks that play like linebackers. I mean, no, I, you you know though, people could say that Tim Tebow played like a linebacker. You know what I mean? And no, he, I, he I, I
0: and that is he does have an old school mentality. I I that was a that was a a bad. I yoga.
1: just
2: like my quarterbacks being tough. That's all I'll say. Um, I get I think you're right, Nick. I think the future is bright for this for for Pitt. I think what's going on up there, that some their people are liking it. They're ranked 27th nationally, which is a huge leap from 45th uh, in in 2020. Uh, but even more impressively, and I just alluded to it a, a minute ago, they finished fifth in the ACC this year, uh, just finishing behind the big names: the, the Clemson, the Miami, the North Carolina, and the Florida State. They just finished behind those guys and they almost finished crazy enough higher than Florida state. They're only a couple recruiting points behind them uh, to finish third. So, you know, you, you look at what they have or excuse me, to finish fourth, but you know, you really look at what they have coming down the pipeline. I think the next great pit team is somewhere in the next couple of years. Uh, I don't think it's too far off, but it's definitely not this year. Uh, but once again, it's going to be fun to watch Kenny Pickett, uh, you know, flip a linebacker like sunshine did. That's all I'm saying.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, that will wrap it up for us today. Uh, going through team seventy through sixty-one. Remember, once again, you can follow us all on Twitter at Bogman Sports for me, at CFP Winning Edge for Nick, and at Xavier underscore Tris T R I C H E for Xavier. And we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody.
0: Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.